Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fixing Chicago, the podcast focused on what right looks like and how to achieve peace, educate the kids, restore vitality, and reinvent Chicago for success into and through the 21st century. Today, we are very excited to have two soccer coaches from Loyola University Chicago, Steve Bodie and Graham Brennan, who are joining us. We're going to be discussing character development through athletics. Steve, welcome to the show, and and, uh, how are you doing? Good, Paul. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's good to be on with you. Oh, thanks very much. Graham? Thanks, Paul, for having me as well. Yeah, it's good to spend an afternoon with you, too. All right. All right. Well, uh, Steve, if you would, just introduce yourself a little bit to the uh, listener audience and tell us maybe where you grew up and, and how you got involved in, in sports. For sure. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in uh, the great state of Wisconsin. Um, grew up in Milwaukee. And, um, yeah, no, just, you know, I'd say I grew up in, um, a typical athletic family. My, my parents both love sports. My dad in particular definitely grew up playing all different kinds of sports and then kind of gravitated towards soccer, obviously, as I got older, but was definitely like multi-sport athlete, played basketball in high school as well. And, um, and then obviously, you know, went on and played in high school, college, and then uh, obviously I'm, I'm in the coaching world now. So, but no, it's, uh, you know, I'm currently the head men's soccer coach here at Loyola and just really excited about the project that we have going on. Honored to to be a part of the program, honored to continue to try to move this thing forward and continue to find success. So, uh, but that's just a little bit about my, uh, my background. All right. Thanks. Thanks very much. Graham, how about yourself? Yeah, a little different than Steve. Uh, born in born in Dublin, Ireland. You know, grew up over there. My dad was a coach, playing played Gaelic football, soccer, those types of things. Came to Chicago, age of twelve. Jumped into the uh, American sports, basketball, baseball, that kind of stuff. Uh, but always was kind of staying with soccer, and then hot soccer in high school. And then fortunate enough to to end up at Loyola, playing soccer there. And kind of always felt like a coach, even as a player sitting on the, you know, on the bench or on the field, just, you know, probably, you know, seeing my dad as a coach and uh, he coached also like uh, amateur league here in Chicago as well. So it was just always around coaching. And then after Loyola, I worked, worked in finance, uh, Chicago Board of Trade and kind of done early afternoon with that job. So I was always coaching youth uh, up in Wilmette, uh, my early twenties, then got into like older college age players teams kind of my late 20s and just kind of progressed from uh, getting Roosevelt as my first head coaching job in 2012 and then came back to Loyola in uh, spring of 20 just going on three years now back at at Loyola. Well I think that's really interesting I know a lot of people wonder how do you get into the college coaching profession you know whether it's basketball or soccer or whatever it just seems like such a there's so many players who graduate every year and there's so few coaches. Uh, interesting to hear how you did it. How did you do it, Steve? How'd you move from player into coach? Yeah, it's, it's really competitive, Paul, you know, especially in division one, I was really fortunate, honestly, you know, when I attended university, of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, when I was done there was drafted by the Chicago fire. The dream came true for me that, you know, I think most College players want to try to get a chance at professional. Went into training camp, got injured in training camp, 
quickly had to make a decision. Ooh, okay, wh- where do I go from here? And my previous college coach, uh, who is now at Marquette University, called me and said, "Steve, there's a job opening here as an assistant. Would you would you like to basically join the staff?" So I I didn't intend to to jump into coaching at 23 years old. It just kind of that was a great opportunity that came my way at a time that I thought, no, I'm going to try to play for five years, seven years, as long as possible. But anyway, it ended up being probably the best thing that happened to me at that time um, to jump into a Division One school and and start my coaching career. And then went to grad school at Marquette at that same time. So it's just learning a lot, like learning um, in the classroom, learning on the field, growing, you know, and, and it kind of set me up to just continue to, to, you know, move on. And, you know, so that's really from the player to coach segue that I took. And similar to Graham is like, I, I just always felt when I was a player, I, I tried to look at the game like a coach. I was a center back. I was trying to analyze the game. I tried to take a leadership role on the field. So it just was a natural segue from player to coach. It felt natural based on my background. Well, it's amazing how you took what was probably the worst event of your entire athletic career and you know just turned it into an opportunity and then got back up on your feet and struck out in a new direction. No, absolutely. Oh, it must have been an awful day, though, when you got injured. No, it was. It was. Yeah. And um, again, it's part of the sport, right? And so it's, it's again, you know, one door closed and another one opened. And, and you know, again, I was fortunate and, and happy about it at the end of the day. So how, as a coach, how is your mindset different? Not, not just necessarily yours, but any coach's mindset going to be different from a player's mindset? I mean, for me, it's, you're probably, you're about a lot more big picture, you know, you're, you're, I mean, there's, I guess, layers and layers of things always kind of going through your head of what you're trying to not necessarily control, but maybe control and then plan out things that might be coming that are expected down or even unexpected down the road. But like, as far as like tactics and those types of things, yeah, it's, it's, I always try to equate it as soccer is a game of chess that 11 guys are playing chess together against 11 guys that are playing chess together and uh, with only one ball. And, and it's, um, you know, our job is to try and get our 11 sort of on the same page with a framework and plan of how we want to do things through, you know, kind of principles, uh, roles and responsibilities with positions. And at the, then at the same time, it is soccer's artwork and the players got to go do it and, and, and be creative and, and try to win in the end. So where I think maybe as a player, you're doing a lot of that, but a lot of it then is just down to the individual and kind of what you can control, you know? Yeah. 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 What's your, what's your schedule like as a coach throughout the year or maybe through the season? Are there seasons for you as well? For sure. Yeah. You know, and, and college coaches are unique, I think, differently from youth coaches, different from pro coaches and that it's very much like the fall season is our main competition season. So that means essentially from August till hopefully late November, December, it's extremely busy. All hands on deck, everything from like preseason leading up to the season to one to two games a week. You know, you're training six days a week if you're not playing 
and it's travel. It's 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 very very hectic, congested. Got to be hard on the family. It, it yes, it can be. It can be for sure, for sure. We we both you know married have kids, and and I think we do our best to try to you know include them in in all of this. You know, it's it's a choice. It's a life choice. There's a lot of sacrifice in coaching. You know, just time wise. So it's. How can we include them in the in you know getting to know the players and staff and all of that? So we we definitely try to do that. So it's a lot. It's a lot. The spring season is not quite as busy and hectic. So like the months we're in right now, January and February, we're limited to how much we can do with the team. So a little bit more flexibility. But then things will ramp up again in March and April because we'll get back to to really that six days a week on the field rhythm, and then we get to play five games. So. Yeah, that's essentially what it, what it looks like. And then every day of the year is a recruiting day as well, isn't it? Yes. How, how does that work? Is that Graham? Is that more your role, or is that both of your roles equally? Or do you have uh, a field of uh, fifty talent scouts out there combing yeah, the we, youth um, leagues? I mean, we we have our own spreadsheets, you know, and, and working documents. Um, we kind of have a master list, and then. I think early on to myself, Steve and and Callum Mouse, the other assistant, we're kind of divvying the group out between the three of us. And then as we're kind of getting more and more interest, Steve will kind of take the lead primarily with somebody, you know, if I've started with them, I'm still kind of in the loop. But, you know, our our recruiting process is, I'd say a short recruiting process with any recruits, three months. It could be six months. It could be a year. You know, we're seeing somebody play each probably five times, you know, like, so 15 between wow. the staff, especially if they're local, you know, you got different showcase events and, and things like that that make it a little bit easier. But yeah, it's just, it's kind of, we all, there's, there's so many recruits, Paul, there's so many emails every day, uh, transfers, local kids. I mean, if we say we're going to an event, we'll probably get 50 emails prior to that event with wow. kids either. Wow. So it's just well, you know, uh, I, st- I still have a year of eligibility left, but I think at 55, I might have lost a step or two. Well, what, what position we were looking for? We're looking to fill about two more spots. Hmm. Well, I was uh, normally center half. <laughs> I think we're full there. Uh, you're full? All right. Yeah, you're safe. All right. You're safe. All right. One, last, one last question on coaching before we move on, if that's all right, is I know – people always kind of wonder what is the community of coaches like amongst yourselves when there's none, when there's none of us around or nobody else around, what's that community like, you know, you got to play each other and it's a pitch battle on the field, but then after the game, do you, you know, go back to hanging out again or how does that work? Graham, you want to take this one? Yeah. I mean, I guess Paul is like, you're, I'd say 99% of the time, like, you're pretty good friends with, with the other coaches, you know, like Steve said, it's, there's only 207 division one programs. So it's not, there's not thousands and thousands of guys out there, but you know, obviously depending like Chicago guys, you know, pretty well. Um, I live next to UIC. I had a good relationship with their staff, 10, 15 years, especially from my previous uh, school. But like, even now, like St. Louis, the St. Louis assistant, I'd call him one of my you know very close friends. And uh, we would, Prior to us going to the A10, we probably talk once a week. Now it's maybe every two weeks. Don't wow. give up yeah. too much info, but uh, and we support each other. You know, he was there very much like they wanted us in the tournament. You know, makes the A10 look good, makes them look good. But uh, 
yeah, maybe less phone calls the week or two prior to playing a particular program. And then you right, you don't want to slip. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, yeah. what what would you say? Why should a kid consider playing college sports? It's such an investment, and it's such a completely engrossing commitment. You know, if you're trying to talk some kid into playing, let's say he's a great athlete or she is, and but they're burnt out, they're not sure if they want to play in college. What would you, what would you tell them? I, I tell them don't do it unless you're all in. Yeah. I, you know, unless it, you really want to do it, you know, and it's like we talk a lot in the recruiting process about like just it's like two full time jobs, school, soccer, and that's not even like a social life. Right. So I think it's like you got to love it. You got to love it. You got to be into it. You got to be passionate about it if you really want to do it, because the reality is like Division One, there's other options. You know, I mean, Division Three is also like a great option. It's not as intense as Division One. Like our guys are working extremely hard right now in January and February. We're not even playing any games, but they're mm-hmm. doing stuff five days a week, weight room on the field, trying to get better. Division Three, most Division Three schools, for example, are not doing that. So, yeah, I guess I would say is like you got to love it because it, the, the the ability to burn out is always going to be there. You know, but I think I think again, as coaches, we try to like make it fun too, make it competitive, um, have perspective, especially these times of year of like we're going to work hard, we're going to push these guys, but you know, also also make it fun. So, but now I think it's I think it's there's so many. I mean, we all experienced what it was like, you know, and and there's so much like from a camaraderie, friendship, lifelong. You know, you're, you're the team. There's nothing like, you know, the feeling that I go back to, like even from 2022 is like the feeling at St. Louis on the field all together where we're just like all exhausted, you know, but we're just trying to keep pushing through all together to make it happen, you know, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. like such a powerful feeling. You don't get that. I mean, it's hard to replicate that normal life, you know, you're just like you just but you feel it. And it's a, an amazing thing to be a part of. Um, when you, when you get that. Well, that, that's awesome. And it's a great segue for the, the focus I wanted to have for our discussion today, which is, you know, the, uh, the issue of soft skills and character development. And my, my personal thought on, on that is kids go to school, they learn the technical aspects of whatever they're going to need to know, whether it's business or, you know, pre-health, pre-law, whatever. But where do they learn all the character traits, you know, such as resilience and teamwork and and uh, commitment like that has to come from somewhere else. And businesses are currently all saying, oh, we need more soft skills. We need more soft skills. And I think of four years on a college team as sort of like a four year graduate seminar or four year laboratory in building, you know, character development issues like perseverance and teamwork and determination and precision. And uh, and and I wanted to explore how you guys address that subject with your players. Like, how do you build that in a person? Because it isn't something that you can just say, all right, you know, we're going to teach you perseverance today. True. True, Paul. But I think for us, like what helps us a little bit with that is just the recruitment process on the front end. Yeah. Just trying to really bring in guys that are well-rounded, good students, 
good athletes from good families. Again, that, that recruiting process that's three months, six months, it's really trying to get get the get that part right on the front end. But these guys would have maybe a lot of these traits or some of them already starting to cultivate. And then we're going to try and push that along and, and pull that out. Maybe Steve can get into like even our team mantras and those types of things, which help us with that too. No, for sure. Yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, this this like word emotional intelligence comes to mind. You know, it's, um, you know, these soft skills. It's, yeah, we're we're always trying to find ways to, to help the guys, you know, push, push them along in these areas. And yeah, I can see why businesses would want this. I think there's, there's a huge, you know, lack of it, you know, or or there can be a lack of it. Yeah. We, we, you know, in 2022, we talked as a staff and we talked about the direction of the program. One of the ways that we wanted to try to really bring the team together is have a mantra and we called it like team first. And really it's not rocket science. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. But we felt as though the team needed, you know, 28, 18 to 22 year old young men, egos that all want to have the glory and success. We get it. We've been there. Yeah. Yeah. The fact is the most successful college teams, in my opinion, was the ones that can come together, work together, put the team before the individual and buy into that. And that's hard to get them to buy into that, but kind of overemphasizing it to make a point of, okay, if we can, if we can do this, if we can really try to push each other, someone else scores and the success uh, comes to that individual, they're as happy as the other guy. Okay. One way I think that we, that, that looked that team first mentality uh, came about was when we scored, you probably noticed that a lot of times we would celebrate as a team. Yeah. Mike Scritoso running ahead, you know, to the corner flag, you know, but in the guy, but like celebrating as a team versus the, okay, EPL, look at, look at the name on the back of the shirt, you know, and, and it's all for, for the, the individual glory. So just one example that we try to just pull that out. And I think that leads to character development development because at the end of the day it's try to be that selfless how do i get that selfless nature out because i am a part of a team which i'll be a part of a business maybe down the road um and how can i be the best you know individual cog within the bigger you know machine if that makes sense oh yeah yeah very much and you know there's a inherent tension or dynamic where the player has to invest so much by themselves. You know, it's all the stuff that you do in the off season. It's all the things you're doing when the coaches aren't around that determine whether you're going to make the team or start on the field. You're, you're doing extra stretching, you're doing extra sprinting, you're doing extra weightlifting, all of that stuff. It's all by yourself. And then you get on the field and it's like, okay, now forget about yourself. You're just a teammate, you know, and it's, you have to concentrate so hard on yourself to get there. But then once you're on the field, you got to be selfless. Interesting problem. So when you're recruiting, how much would you say those soft skills impact your decisions? Like, let's say you've got a, a tremendous player. I can think of some kids that I grew up playing against who were uh, some of the best players in the country, but they had so many behavior problems that people didn't didn't want to deal with them. What do you think, Graham? No, I think... Um... 
No, I mean, an easy way to put it is like if recruit, like is, is you just see it on the field. Like, are they a captain? You know, like again, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, guys are recruiting. We know their coaches pretty well and we're calling them for their input. Uh, you know, you're talking with the recruit and his parents, but I think a lot of it is just trusting ourselves and our experience and seeing them on the field, seeing them at a training, talking with them. If it's in person on a, on a zoom, and just, yeah, just doing enough homework to, to make sure we're getting it right. Well, I, I really want to move into the subject of, of this, you know, is he a captain and, and the leadership? The soft skills as a term was, was first developed in the U.S. Army in, in 1960 or so. And they were looking for, aside from the technical aspects, how, how can you lead people, whether it's into combat or whatever else you're doing? And then me as a military guy, I've always been interested in that. How do you guys, in terms of looking for leadership traits and, and how do you think you identify a leader? Like what are the characteristics you're looking for? And then on the field, how do you, maybe I'm asking too many questions at once, but how do you as coaches take the leash off and, and let them lead and not lead from the sidelines? Because, you know, there's only so much space. And if you're doing the leading, they can't. And if they're not leading, you have to. I think from the recruiting side of things, Paul, it's not an exact science for sure, right? And and we can we always are like, can we do more to find out more? Family background, talk to a high school counselor, you know, stuff that's not even like go and watch them play and their ability on the field, but it's like, what's their character like off the field? What's their ability to persevere through difficulty in a class or you know, whatever it is. So we're always trying to do as much homework as we can. The reality is, is we just can never do enough. Mm -hmm. um, like Graham said, though, is like a lot of times we are developing relationships with this recruit and family over three, six, sometimes year. So it's assessing that what's the background they're coming from and then what are they like, you know, and what makes them tick? What's their character like? All that kind of stuff. So we, we do that intentional building the relationship to kind of like, all right, is this going to be a good fit or not? You know, and, and so, but at the end of the day is, you know, it's not exact and we get it wrong as, as well at times. But is he a leader on the field? As, even if he's not a captain, are others following him? You know, mm -hmm. like what is his personality on the field? Does he communicate? Is he, you know, verbally, non-verbally? That's something, you know, is he... I think a lot of times it's like, for me, like leading is modeling, right? So like, you know, th there's traits, but like at the end of the day for us as coaches, if you kind of go now to that is like, how are we modeling the behavior that we want to see out of the players, you know, because we set the standards. So what does that look like? Are we giving a picture of that? You know, as much as like, they're going to follow what we say 10% of the time. Yeah. Like, at least 10. Yeah. Right. Maybe 15, you know, Spaniards, 5%, you know, <laughs> it's as much as like what we do, you know, and how we do it. And okay, well, you know, just setting the standard of, of, of modeling that. And then if we're modeling it, well, I think it's going to be more effective on the field um, of, of what we're trying to get across. Um, and the guys are seeing that at the end of the day, it's hard as a coach, if you're not modeling it, it's like, all right, coach, but what about you? You know, <laughs> you're not doing it. So why should I do it? And that's yeah. natural. That's natural. So how do yeah. you pick a how do you pick a captain or an assistant captain? Is it just something that you innately 
sense or do you have a process? I, so I think every team's a little different, Paul. I, I think that, so give you an example, what we've been doing at Loyola, we have a leadership council and, you know, a group of, let's say five to seven of players that we've picked that might, that might be from, okay, our uh, assessment of the players as a staff, like first talk, all right, who are guys that, okay, guys are following, guys are gravitating towards for whatever reasons it is, age, all that. Then it's feedback from the players, individual meetings. Say, who, who do you respect most on the team? Who do you look up to most? Oh, okay. Now we have the players telling us, oh, this player, oh, this player's come up four times now in meetings. Okay. Now we're getting that feedback. So then we kind of like form this leadership council. Then from the leadership council, what tends to be is kind of like different ages and classes throughout uh, the team. Then we end up saying, okay, now from a leadership standpoint, who's actually wearing the armband? What makes most sense for each team? You could probably build off that, Graham, but that's kind of how we've done it, you know, at least up until now at Loyola. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, even with Steve likes it to be at the top, one or two guys, you know, so we're just trying to influence one or two rather than the group of five or seven. You know, we meet with the five or seven maybe once or twice a month and get their full, you know, opinion, buy-in, that those types of things. But it's really like those, those maybe those older players have, you know, put in a lot into the program in their previous two, three years. You can see they're kind of natural leaders that players look to and follow. They they're also good on the field. I think that's it's not a requirement, but it definitely helps a lot that they're better players, top guys that have you know maybe been a starter for a couple of years type of thing. And and kind of with these things, they model that every day in training. They they give you one hundred and ten percent, and it's how they treat treat their teammates as well. You know, and Steve's done a good job with certain guys that. They might need to tweak a thing or two, and he, he's been good at guiding them and remind, giving them reminders of like be, be a bit more aware maybe of this or, or that thing. I imagine yeah. who you who you pick really influences the character of of the play, of the team. You know, if you've got a a leader who who folds and starts getting angry at the first time they're fouled or something, versus somebody who's a lot calmer and more determined, probably impacts everybody else. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we went with Billy Hensi and Mark Therese, for example, last year. And Billy much more models by what he does on the field, you know, in terms of his talents. You need a goal, he's probably going to step up and give it to you. In the locker room and, and even just like vocally, he's not like you wouldn't say like, oh, he's a clear leader, clear captain, you know, and even Billy mm-hmm. would say that himself. You know, so we tried to help him like with those soft skills and like, hey, like what you say on the field and how you do this is going to impact your teammates, the younger guys. They look to you, all that kind of stuff. Mark Torres maybe has a little bit more charisma and a little bit more of that kind of natural leadership from the standpoint of communication, how he um gets his teammates to buy in. He's kind of a glue guy, I call him. Like, guys gravitate towards him off the field. Like, let's play cards together. You know, he's just kind Mm -hmm. of more like that. He's also a junior. Oh, wait, we're going to need leadership for next year. Let's plan for the future. Okay, now he's a senior. Okay, now it's not like starting all over again. Yeah, yeah. Plan, you know, and cultivate those guys as they're younger 
and identify, okay, as a sophomore or junior, okay, even freshman, like where are they at? Do they have leadership traits? How can we help cultivate that as they get older to keep the leadership machine moving forward? And, you know, that's a, that's a subject I'd like to expand a little bit more and un- unpack is the maturation of players, you know, whether it's in on the field or like for us in the military, you'll have a junior officer who is, you know, got to grow and evolve into a, a field grade officer someday, you know, first a company officer, then field grade, and maybe even senior. So with the freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, do you guys see a characteristic pattern of growth uh, or is everybody doing their developing at their own rate? You know, is there something that you can say, oh, that's typical of a freshman or that's typical of a junior, or is it much more individualized than, than that? Yeah. I mean, um, for me, I think, I think you could say stuff is typical of a freshman just because they're like thrown in the, in the deep end. You know, you're, you're 18 years old. You've just moved away from home. You're probably like maybe failing for the first time of your soccer career. Like you're, you're, you're the best guy on your team, probably the best guy around. And then, oh, I'm, I'm playing with these 21, 22 year old guys who are buried at two. And now I'm not playing. So I got to deal with that, uh, the mental side of that as well. But I think, like, what I've seen in the guys is like a bit through time, a bit through kind of maybe their overall level of maturity individually. There's just that, there's kind of that, there's always a progression, but some it's just more accelerated than others. Um, and then it's like, how quickly can they get comfortable in the environment and then really be who they are? If they're always nervous and they're always kind of struggling, they can't settle. But if they get that confidence, and we've seen it with some of these freshmen now, just from how they were in the fall to the spring, that they've already kind of, you know, kind of learned from the fall, put it behind them, and they're performing at a higher level already here in the spring. Yeah, not as much. It's not as stressful, but sort of is. They want to, they want to play well. They want to show every day. And you can already see the kind of the growth kind of starting to accelerate a little bit. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, let's say you're a high school player listening to this and you want to, you want to get better in that, you know, I want to be more of a leader. I'm, I'm wondering, there probably isn't any sort of off the shelf thing that they can tap into. There's no book they can buy or anything, but do either of you have any, I don't know if it would be examples or, you know, what, what could a high school player or athlete do if they want to grow in that regard? Like I can even remember my own self. I never led on the field really until college. You know, it just, I never saw that as, as my role, even in high school, I just played. I didn't really think of the other guys as much might show that, uh, might show I'm a little self-centered or something. I don't know. But uh, what would you, is there anything that you can point to? Or you just like, no, you've got to just sort of figure it out on your own. Yeah. I'm trying to think back on my high school, you know, career. I had a coach. I went to Jesuit high school, Marquette university high school, old school kind of militant style coach, but he put me in a position as like a sophomore to be a captain and, and like, I was kind of thrust into that role, you know, and I didn't know, like you said, Paul, I didn't know, like, what am I supposed to do here as a captain? But obviously he saw something in me and put me in a position to 
be a leader, you know? And, and so you know, I just think it's like a lot of times it's like, you know, it's getting different experiences. I think leadership in high school or whatever age you are is like, how well do you know yourself, you know, and how like the self-awareness piece is just so important because if you don't have that and you're not working towards that, how are you going to be able to have perspective for others, like lead others? So that I think comes through different experiences and sets of experiences, probably like all three of us have had, even just going through like Jesuit schools of like, I'm going to do a service project and I'm going to go, you know, like experience helping a soup kitchen or whatever. And you're like, whoa, this is like, I didn't even know this existed. What does that mean? And trying to process through that, you know, I think even that kind of stuff off the field helps you then, you know, as a high school player on the field. Okay. All right. Now I have a little bit more perspective of who I am and that whole development as a person. So that's kind of where my mind goes to it. When you, when you bring that up, Paul. It's interesting. Like you can't just target it directly. Like it's like, you can't say I'm going to learn how to be happy. You have to, you can't just say I'm being happy now. You know, you got to do everything else ex- except I think with the leadership too, you're like, you're describing, you want to learn how to lead first, go help somebody out at a soup kitchen or something. That's at least the the Jesuit kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's say you're the Dean of a university and you have to make a decision about athletics uh, or let's say you're talking to the, the Dean or the president, you know, and you're, you're, arguing for an athletic program in terms of the dean's priorities not not in terms of the school so so what what can you tell the dean like oh you should really have a, a soccer team because we're going to do all this for the school or basketball or women's golf or you know swimming in terms of building the dean's trying to raise all these good citizens and and you're trying to help the dean raise these good citizens you know what i mean so if uh, if this question makes any sense, like, how do you how do you approach the dean and say, yeah, we're we're important. We build people. You know, we are creating better graduates in X, Y and Z dimension. Go back to earlier in the podcast when you're saying the businesses are looking for these athletes. You know, it's yeah. like yeah. it's that environment that the athletics creates that, you know, allows these kids to fail and and get up again and go again and persevere and um, have teammates to, you know, help them in their struggles and coaches when they're struggling. And, and it's like Steve said, it's not easy. It's a grind. So like you're, you're, I think it'd be a lot easier at any university to get up in the morning, go to class, go home, do your homework and have, have all that time. I mean, our guys right now are, in the weight room, 7 a.m., get done with training and everything at 11. So there's five hours already of the day gone and then have to manage wow. things. So so those, you know, our guys in particular, they're coming out like ready for ready for the for the real world to, to some degree. Yeah, that's in, that's incredible discipline. A bit more discipline than I know I was back at that age. Times have changed. <laughs> yeah, really. Really. All right. Well, for my last, my last question uh, will be, we'll make it LU specific in terms of these soft skills and character trait development and leadership development. Is there anything that you guys do at Loyola 
that might be a secret, an industry secret you don't want to tell, but maybe you do, uh, that you feel makes you guys special, makes you different from any other program? Yeah, Paul, I just go back to some of the things we were talking about, you know, this team first mentality. I don't know if every program is doing that, you know, and trying to intentionally bring the team together and, and, you know, form this selfless all in um, for each other. You know, we, we do really try to cultivate these guys off the field as much as we are on the field. It's we're dedicated to that. It's Loyola's way, right? But it's our way too. So, you know, I, and I just think Paul, the reality is, is like, Professional soccer is the dream for a lot of these guys, but the reality is it's even some of the most talented players in college. They're not going to get and achieve that dream. That's okay. That's okay. Like it's, it's, it's all right because then they're going to be set up for a business or go to law school, be a doctor, whatever it is. It's still such valuable, you know, experiences that they're going to take into the real world. So now we we're we're realistic with that, you know, and we're not like a soccer factory, you know. Hey, come here because that means you're going to be a pro. No, there's not a guarantee of that. We've had pros. We're going to continue to have pros. We want that talented players, but at the same time, Aiden McGalley got the opportunity, right, and said, "Nah, listen, I, soccer for me that was a part of my life. Now I'm going to go down this path, you know, and that's awesome too. We we like." Yeah, promote that and and want that just as much as if it's just all about the pro path. So I think that's unique. All right, very cool, Graham. Any yeah, any, and, uh, extra thoughts? Steve, Steve also brought in uh, an outside speaker that, that focused on leadership and team bonding and selflessness and those types of things. So it was all, and we met with this guy, you know, probably in person four or five times and he would check in after certain games with emails and follow-ups and, you know, a different voice, you know, echoing a lot of what we were saying, but presented maybe a little differently and, and at kind of pointed points throughout kind of last spring and into the fall. And, it, and I'd say it is, it is an industry secret, but he does work with a lot of teams. So yeah. <laughs> and he's had some success, but it, it definitely benefited our guys at, at different points of the year. Well, they had a great year this past year. Congratulations on that. Well, all right, thanks. ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much for tuning in. And if you have any questions or whatnot, please just write at uh, letters at paulbryanroach.com. It's P-A-U-L-B-R-Y-A-N-R-O-A-C-H.com. I want to say a warm thank you to Graham and Steve for joining us and sharing some of the wisdom and experience that you got on these subjects. Thanks for having us, Paul. Thanks, Paul. See you at the, out in the field soon. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll get stretched out. I mean, maybe that last year of eligibility, I can still capitalize. Keep an eye out.